Pneumonia is very common and associated with high morbidity and mortality rates. This is exacerbated in acutely ill patients. In fact, it is one of the leading causes of mortality in patients with hospital-acquired infections. We can classify pneumonias into three broad categories based on location and acquisition. The first is community-acquired pneumonia, also known as CAP, which is pneumonia acquired outside of the hospital. Next is hospital-acquired pneumonia, or HAP, which is defined as pneumonia that develops 48 hours or more after admission and did not appear to be incubating at the time of admission. Finally, our patients who develop pneumonia 48 hours or more after intubation are classified as ventilator-associated pneumonia, also referred to as VAP. Another form of pneumonia that can be acquired in the community or in the hospital is aspiration, or anaerobic pneumonia. This occurs when patients aspirate contents from the oral cavity, such as when they have poor dentition, decreased level of consciousness, or difficulty swallowing, or the stomach, such as in patients with GERD or vomiting. Finally, we should always consider a fifth category when we see consolidation on imaging or suspected pneumonia. This is mycobacterium tuberculosis, more familiarly known as TB. It is important to consider because TB pneumonia is an airborne and potentially severe but treatable infection. Today, our patient has developed pneumonia after being in hospital for more than two days. And you are the doctor. What will you do? Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by medical residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled, All Around Us, Approach to Aspiration and Hospital-Acquired Pneumonia. The lower respiratory tract is normally colonized with a variety of organisms. When this environment is disturbed, whether by infectious agents or other irritants, the immune system mounts an inflammatory response which affects the lung parenchyma and surrounding microvasculature. The lungs are composed of alveoli, which are small sacs filled with air. In pneumonia, like other inflammatory processes, there is vascular engorgement, accumulation of alveolar fluid, and recruitment of macrophages and neutrophils. This leads to consolidation of the alveoli. Consolidation means that the air contained within the alveoli is replaced by inflammatory exudate, and as a result, the affected areas of the lung are unable to perform effective gas exchange. This is because of decreased ventilation in the affected area, which leads to a low ventilation-perfusion ratio. If alveoli are completely filled with exudate, reflex hypoxic vasoconstriction can occur, and a shunt can form. A shunt describes a region of lung where there is no ventilation because the alveoli are consolidated, and no perfusion because of a lack of blood flow due to reflective vasoconstriction. This means no gas exchange can be performed at all and manifests clinically as dyspnea, hypoxia, and or tachycardia. In more severe forms of pneumonia, there can be necrosis of lung parenchyma and pus can accumulate in the necrotic areas, forming a lung abscess. Fluid may accumulate in the pleural space when the pleura becomes inflamed, and we call this a pleural effusion. In cases of infection, purulent exudate may collect in the pleural space, and we call this empyema. The hospitalized patient has greater risk factors for developing severe pneumonias. The hospital is a reservoir for multidrug-resistant organisms and more virulent pathogens, such as Staphylococcus aureus and Pseudomonas. Hospitalized patients are usually more susceptible to infections than individuals in the community due to their age, frailty, and comorbidities. Known risk factors for developing HAP include, but are not limited to, older age, chronic lung disease, lower level of consciousness, increased aspiration risk, 
iatrogenic factors including recent surgeries, and certain medications such as proton pump inhibitors, and recent antibiotics. Patients with altered levels of consciousness or known dysphagia are at an increased risk for aspiration. This can result in chemical aspiration pneumonitis that initially requires supportive measures, oxygen, ventilatory support, but no antibiotics. Or in cases of foreign body aspiration, for example food particles, this can result in mechanical airway obstruction and atelectasis. Foreign body aspiration may require bronchoscopy for removal of the foreign body. Always consider why there has been a change in the patient's baseline. It is important to rule out any other underlying pathology in addition to pneumonia. Now for our case. You're covering the ward and are called about a 78-year-old female with a history of Parkinson's disease who was admitted for congestive heart failure two weeks ago. Her nurse says that she has developed a fever of 38.4 and has some confusion. Your first step in any patient encounter will be to assess whether your patient is stable or not. What is their GCS? Are their ABCs stable? What are their vital signs, oxygen saturation, and how have they changed? As discussed previously, consider the differential diagnosis for your patient's presentation, as well as ruling out chemical pneumonitis and foreign body aspiration. You clarify that the patient's blood pressure is stable, but she is newly tachypneic and tachycardic with an SpO2 of 92% on room air. On history, you want to clarify the patient's baseline mental status and when they were last observed at their baseline. You can ask about aspiration risk factors such as stroke, opiate use, swallowing problems, GERD, vomiting, or altered level of consciousness. You also want to clarify the patient's current symptoms. Do they have a cough? And if so, is it productive of purulent sputum? Have they been febrile or having chills? Do they have any chest pain or dyspnea? On physical exam, inspect the body for any rashes, the trachea for any signs of deviation, and any signs of increased work of breathing, such as costal indrawing and use of accessory muscles. On respiratory exam, look for signs of consolidation, new crackles, noting that fine crackles are more specific for pneumonia than coarse crackles, bronchial breath sounds, agophony, increased tactile fremitus and dullness to percussion, or decreased breath sounds to suggest atelectasis or pleural effusion over specific regions of the chest. Diffuse wheezing can suggest aspiration-related bronchospasm, CHF, asthma, or COPD exacerbation. Focal wheezing suggests foreign body aspiration or focal bronchial obstruction. It should be noted that the clinical diagnosis of HAP is challenging because findings are nonspecific and there are no individual signs or symptoms which are sensitive or specific enough for diagnosis. As a result, we rely on the clinical picture, laboratory investigations, and imaging. Your patient endorses experiencing chills and a cough productive of yellow sputum. On your examination of the patient, you hear a wet cough and crackles bilaterally at the bases. She has some long-standing pitting edema that is unchanged and no other significant findings on examination. Given that you are suspicious that she may have pneumonia, you decide to order some investigations. One of the most useful tests for diagnosing HAP is a chest x-ray. You are looking for any signs of consolidation, as well as atelectasis, pulmonary edema, or pleural effusions. This will also help you rule out other diagnoses, such as pneumothorax or congestive heart failure. A CBC will reveal leukocytosis or leukopenia to suggest an infection. It is worthwhile to also order electrolytes and creatinine, as electrolyte derangements or dehydration can compound the problem. If your patient has presented with chest pain, you should consider ordering a troponin and an ECG. 
Additional blood work can be ordered depending on the patient's clinical presentation. If your patient is hemodynamically unstable or appears unwell, consider ordering blood cultures, ABG and lactate, to rule out pneumosepsis. To determine the pathogen and to help with antibiotic selection, sputum cultures and gram stain should also be ordered. If there is clinical suspicion for tuberculosis, such as if the patient has previously had TB exposures or immigrated from an endemic country, if there is clinical suspicion for tuberculosis, such as in patients who have previous TB exposures or immigrated from an endemic country and present with respiratory infectious and or constitutional symptoms for two or more weeks, you can order a sputum acid fast bacilli smear and culture times three. Our patient has mild leukocytosis and consolidation in the right lower lobe. She did not have an elevated troponin, and her cultures are pending. In our patient, who has a history of Parkinson's disease, we suspect that the origin of her pneumonia could be related to aspiration. In these situations, we should avoid oral feeding until the patient has had a swallowing assessment. General supportive therapies such as IV fluids and supportive oxygenation should be considered. More intensive respiratory support should be initiated if the patient is unable to maintain their oxygen saturation despite receiving these measures. If the patient is vomiting, has decreased level of consciousness, or is in septic shock, non-invasive ventilation or intubation with mechanical ventilation, if required, should be considered because these patients are at risk of developing respiratory failure. If the patient is hypercapnic, hypoxic, and requiring more than 3 to 4 liters per minute of oxygen by nasal prongs, or hemodynamically unstable, move them to a monitored setting. Based on the recent IDSA and ATS guidelines for management, empiric antibiotics should be initiated for patients with HAP. These guidelines suggest that empiric therapy should include coverage against Staphylococcus aureus, Pseudomonas arginosa, and other gram-negative bacilli. Examples of such IV antibiotics include piperacillin tazobactam, a beta-lactam antibiotic with beta-lactamase inhibitor, cefepim or ceftazidim, fourth-generation cephalosporins, or a respiratory fluoroquinolone with activity against pseudomonas, such as levofloxacin or ciprofloxacin. Double antibiotic coverage for pseudomonas with the antibiotics mentioned, or aminoglycosides, such as amikacin, gentamicin, or tobramycin, with the addition of vancomycin or linozolide, may be needed if your patient has risk factors for increased mortality. These risk factors include severe HAP, requiring ventilatory support, or with septic shock, and if your patient received antibiotics in the last 90 days. Specific antibiotic selection may vary based on regional susceptibilities, and you should consult your local antibiogram. Antibiotics can be narrowed once culture results return from a high-quality sample. A high-quality sample contains numerous polymorphic nucleosides and few or no epithelial cells. If patients do not improve after 72 hours, consider other sorts of infections, complications, or alternative diagnoses. Most patients with HAP are treated for a total of 7 days. However, therapy can be prolonged based on individual patient factors. Transition to oral antibiotics can be considered for each patient once they are hemodynamically stable and clinically improving and able to tolerate oral medications. Antivirals and antifungals can be initiated if investigations indicate and should be considered if the patient is not improving after initial therapy with empiric antibiotics in immunosuppressed patients or patients with suggestive chest CT findings. However, bronchoscopy should be considered to better define the microbiological diagnosis. In patients with dysphagia, aspiration events can often lead to bacterial pneumonia. As a result, empiric antibiotics are started following the guidelines for HAP 
if the patient aspirated in the hospital. Consider addition of anaerobic coverage if the patient has risk factors such as frank aspiration, poor dentition, lung abscess, or empyema. If the patient aspirated in the community, antibiotics can be initiated following guidance for CAP. Antibiotics with the best evidence to cover anaerobic pneumonias are beta-lactams with beta-lactamase inhibitors and clindamycin. As an aside, patients with chemical aspiration pneumonitis, often seen in patients with acid reflux or who were recently intubated or extubated, often have spontaneous recovery and do not actually require antibiotics. However, if there is clinical evidence of a bacterial pneumonia, such as cough, purulent sputum, fever, and or leukocytosis, 48 to 72 hours after the aspiration event, empiric antibiotics are often required. The need for antibiotics can be re-evaluated in the days after an aspiration event, especially if the patient has returned to baseline function and has biochemically stabilized. Systemic steroids are discouraged in patients with aspiration pneumonitis. Additionally, if the patient was found to have a pleural effusion, thoracentesis should be performed to rule out empyema or a complicated paranemonic effusion that would require chest tube placement and intrapleural fibrinolytics. Our patient was started on empiric antibiotics and monitored closely. Supportive therapies were started, including IV fluids and chest physiotherapy. She began showing signs of clinical improvement after two days of IV antibiotics and was further assessed by speech-language pathology. Did you know that approximately half of the healthy population aspirates in their sleep? A healthy oropharynx is colonized by a variety of anaerobic and aerobic microorganisms that are rarely pathogenic. However, people with acute illness aspirate more frequently, are immunocompromised, and are often colonized with the multidrug-resistant microorganisms from the hospital environment. This is one mechanism by which hospitalized patients develop pneumonia. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled All Around Us, Approach to Aspiration and Hospital-Acquired Pneumonia. This episode was written by Dr. Shannon Tang, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Onfrey Moran Mendoza, respirology, and Dr. Ziyun Wu, general internal medicine. The internet work was created by Alison Lai and co-developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karnopoulos. This episode was recorded and produced by Zara Morali. Music production by Laxman Samantha Mohan. If you liked this podcast, please like and subscribe at wherever you get your podcasts. Please go to theinternetwork.com for an associated infographic. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.